And uh, actually, we'll hit that just a little bit um, today, too, because Jesus, I'm going to quote Jesus. That's always a good thing to do in church, isn't it? Quote Jesus, uh, and that'll be towards the end of the, the message, though. Uh, hope you have your Bibles with you today. We are going to be in the book of John, but before we get to the book of John, um, how many of you have a cell phone? Okay, you all have cell phones, right? Um, but you use it primarily as a, as a cell phone. So you don't say, I have a cell phone. You say, I have a smartphone. But I still think I have a cell phone. But does my phone do a lot more than I ever expected a cell phone to do? Absolutely. I mean, this is just the most amazing device in the world that it can do things that... Last week we asked, who is Jesus? Is he more than a great teacher? Is he more than a guy that just went around healing people? Is he more than a man with authority over nature? Or is he more than a prophet with a message? Because last week we ended the message saying faith in Jesus brings hope when all human hope is what? Gone. It is only Jesus that has this power, this this ability. He is more than a teacher. He's more than a prophet. He's more than a miracle worker. He's, in fact, a lot more than what anybody ever thought. And that's why there's going to be conflict today. There's going to be conflict in our text. In other words, this is the moment in Jesus' ministry. The crowds are dwindling away. And the religious leaders have determined beyond a shadow of a doubt, he's going to die. In fact, you're going to see that in the text today. And so the crowds are diminishing. And we even talked about that, that uh, his teachings are getting tough. He's demanding transformation of his disciples. Gone are the free lunches, the entertaining miracles. The enemies are mobilizing. Things are getting a little scary if you're one of the 12. You know, you thought, oh, we're going to be ushering in this new era. And suddenly it doesn't look like that's happening at all. He's challenging. He's confronting the religious leaders. Matthew 16, Jesus says this. And this is when about the time of his ministry, he says it. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the entire world, the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? And remember last week we talked about how the crowds were going and, and uh, he turns to the twelve and says, Do you guys want to leave too? I just kind of quoted it verbatim. Let me read what Peter says. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, you're in John chapter 8. I didn't tell you what chapter. So let me get there myself. John chapter 8. Many of you have been in an airplane, right? And you've looked out the window and you've seen... Okay, we're going to start out at 30,000 feet. Okay, right now, we're just going to... I'm going to give you a a broad overview of the text. Because this is one of the more... I don't want to say it's complicated. It's just that Jesus is dealing with the religious leaders. So they're playing ping pong. They're going back and forth on this... These, these rebuttals and insults, because they keep insulting Jesus left and right. 
Uh, so, so he's teaching in the temple area. So he's on their turf. Now, there are some true disciples there, and then there are these religious leaders that Jesus is about to accuse, about to, to kill him. So it's a mixed crowd. And Jesus is going to say, and Heather, this is where we're going to go over our slides pretty quick. Jesus is going to say, Jesus is going to say, you are in bondage. And the Jews are going to say, we are offended. We have never been enslaved. Abraham is our spiritual father. Now, can you list the many places that the Jews were enslaved? Okay, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, uh, Alexander the Great, the Romans. Now, you can say, well, they were talking spiritually. They've never been. So, Jesus comes back and says, you're not even Abraham's sons. You're just his offspring. He's not your spiritual father. Next slide. You can see them putting hands on him. Abraham is to our father. And Jesus comes back and says, you are definitely not Abraham's son. You have a different father. And the Jews say, you're the one that's illegitimate. We know about your mom and dad and you going off and getting pregnant, your mom. And so, and the word there we'll look at, you were born in sexual immorality. We know your history. God is our father. So then Jesus is going to come back and he says, I'm sinless. Your father is the devil. And then the Jews are going to come back and say, you're the one with a demon. And they even accuse him of not even being a Jew. Did you know that? They're like, you're a Samaritan. You're not even a full Jew. And then Jesus says, you dishonored me. I honor God and anyone who keeps my word will never see death. And the Jews say, who do you think you are? Are you greater than Abraham? And Jesus is going to say, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. And then the Jews say, what? How do you know that? How do you know that? Like you have seen Abraham? And here's the clincher. Jesus is going to say it before Abraham was, I am. That's the last of the back and forth of the ping pong match. So now, let's get into the text itself. Grab your Bibles. You're in, you're in John chapter 8. We're going to uh, really begin at verse 31, but I want to I lead you up in the context. Jesus, in verse 24 or 25, has been asked by these people that have just insulted him. They said, who are you. The question that every man, woman, and child on the face of the planet has to eventually answer. Who is this Jesus? Who are you? And so Jesus is going to tell them. And there are seven chunks of, of the passage that we're going to look at. Chunk number one begins at verse 31. And it starts off, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus, verse 34, says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So here's the very first fill in the blank. Jesus says, 
Ah, you ask who I am? I can set you free. Ah, and they're like, we're not. We're not in slavery. And Jesus says, yes, you are. Because you, you sin. So you're therefore in slavery. Through their insults and rebuttals, systematically, Jesus is going to answer this question, who are you? And Jesus first says, I can set you free. Free from sin, its price, its penalty. Jesus can set you free from stinking thinking, uh, from dysfunction. He can set you free from the practice of sin. He breaks the strongholds that are in our life. From anything from gossip to self-righteousness or from murderous thoughts. Have you had a murderous thought this week? Yeah, I did. I had a murderous thought. I got angry this week. I'll be honest with you. Get upset with the world and everything that's going on. And sometimes I just want to take control over again. And I get upset. And then Jesus says, stop it. I'm in charge. You're okay. Okay, all right. And so he helps break that tendency to put myself back on the throne. Are you with me on this? Jesus is active in our lives. He sets us free from darkness. He sets us free from ignorance. He sets us free from pride and superstition. He gives the power to say no to selfishness. Ever been on a diet before? Hard time saying no? Well, this, we're not talking about uh, just the body. We're talking about the spirit. We're talking about the soul. He gives you the power to say no to sin because he has broken its power at the cross. He gives you the power to say yes to righteousness for doing the right thing for the right reason regardless of what's going to happen. You're going to do it. And he gives you the power to stand up When everybody else is sitting down, when the culture is sliding down, you're swimming against the culture because Jesus is in you working his righteousness out. He sets you free from philosophies like materialism. You know what materialism is. It means your life is basically measured by how much stuff you have. If you got to go to the Bahamas this year, if you got a nice car, if you've got nice shoes, if you got a nice figure, you got all of that's materialism. He sets you free from that. He sets you free from humanism. You know what humanism is? It's a subtle philosophy that basically says God doesn't exist, and if it's going to be up to, if it's going to be, it's up to me. Man is God. You can see it on TV all the time with famous actors and actresses. Remember Shirley MacLaine screaming on a beach, I am God, I am God. God showed great restraint, I thought. Because he loves her and wants her to come to the truth that she is not God. She is not God. But he sets us free from humanistic thinking that has so pervaded the church. He sets us free from relativism which means there is a right and wrong. You don't get to decide what's right and wrong. God does. Doesn't that take all the pressure off? It really does. Hey, don't talk to me. Talk to God. You know, I, I'm, just, I'm just the messenger. But in his way of righteousness, it's healthy and healing, and it's a place of joy and peace. 
Now, let's go back to the text. Look, look at verse 35. He then says, The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words, my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Here's the next fill in the blank. Not only can Jesus set you free, he is basically answering the question, I'm the son. And the son has the authority. I have the position to set you free. You know, John the Baptist called these guys a brood of vipers. And he said, you're not going to be able to say just because you have Abraham's DNA flowing through you that that's going to get you in God's good gracious. There has to be a heart transformation. And you, you know this. The slave of the house is there temporary. The son stays there forever. That's what he's saying. It's kind of like this. Ever work for a private company where the owner's children could do anything? And yet you get booted? Why? Blood's thicker than water, right? So Jesus says, but I'm the son. I have the power and the authority to do whatever I want. And so, uh, do, you, do you remember when Jesus, as recorded in three of the, the Gospels, this paralytic is being, paralytic means can't have movement in, in the four extremities. So he can't walk, he can't use his arms, his buddies are carrying him in a mat. They hear Jesus is there. They know he has the power to heal. They dig a hole in the roof of the house. They let the pallet down by ropes. Jesus looks at him and looks at all the Pharisees and the Jews that are against him. And they're, he's reading their mind. And in their mind, they're like, hey, what's this guy going to do? What's this guy going to do? And Jesus says, let me ask you a question. Well, before he gets there, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And immediately their thoughts are, who is this guy who's blaspheming? Who is this guy who thinks he's God? Who is this guy? And then Jesus says what? In order that you may know that the Son of Man has power and authority to forgive sins, I say to the man, what? Get up and walk. Get up and walk. Jesus, the Son, has the authority. He is the Son. And he exposes in this little diatribe here that they're seeking to kill him already. Now let's go back to the text, verse 39. Abraham is our father. If you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did did. And then that's when they throw the zinger back at him. Well, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. But what is Jesus claiming in this, in this little text? Here's the next fill in the blank. Not only, not only is he setting you free, not only does the son have authority, he says, I speak for God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one 
and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And Jesus tells Thomas these words, Anyone that has seen me has seen who? The Father. And then Jesus says, The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing this work. Who is this Jesus? He is the image of the invisible God. He is the image. And then go on back to the text, verse 42. Jesus says, after he is accused of being immoral and sexual, or or born in sexual immorality, Jesus comes back and says, verse 42, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. It's, it's almost like they're like this. You ever see little kids that don't want to listen to the authority of their parents? What do they do? Na, 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 na. Right? That's kind of what they're doing right here. And he says, you don't even can understand what I'm telling you. And then verse 44, you are of your father the devil. And your will is to do your father's desire. He is a murderer from the beginning. He's already told him twice, you're trying to kill me. Now he's going to call them a murderer because he's just like the the devil and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in in the devil. When he lies, he speaks out as his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Verse 46, Jesus says, which one of you convicts me of sin? Here's the fill in the blank. Jesus said, I'm sinless. He is building his case this, of answering the question, who are you? I can set you free from sin. I'm the one that speaks for God. I have authority. I am sinless. Now, and it's, it's interesting. They can't hear because of the rebellion that is in their heart. You have some friends and you have some family that the word of God falls on their hard heart and nothing is getting through. They can't even hear. And we have to pray, God, soften their heart, soften their heart. Make that ground fallow. Break it up. And sometimes people have to hit the very bottom before their heart breaks enough for God to start doing a work in them because they cannot hear what God is saying. They cannot hear what Jesus is saying. It's just, it's just amazing. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. Verse 47. And the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Let's go on, verse 48. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will what? Never see death. Wow. What does Jesus say? Fill in the blank. I have the power over death. 
I told you it was a little complicated text because he's arguing and they're insulting one another. But Jesus is systematically telling the whole world who he is. And he has the power over death. Acts 4.12, you might have heard this before. Salvation is found in what? No one else. There is no other name under heaven by which a man or woman, it's inclusive, must be what? Saved. No other person. Uh, to go to, to, to uh, Peter's point, go back to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verse 24. If you like to underline in your Bible, or if you have a smartphone, can you underline in your smartphone? You try to do this here. John chapter 5, look at verse 24. Let me get there myself. It's worth it. Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has what? Eternal life. He does not what? Jesus says, you aren't judged. Yes, there are two judgments. The great white judgment, the great, great white throne judgment, and a judging of your, your deeds on earth. So that you'll either get a reward or you won't get a reward. But... Christians have passed out of judgment. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But you have passed from death to what? Life. You have passed out of judgment. That's why Christians should not be afraid of dying. If their faith is in Jesus, bring it on. Let me die. I want to go home. I, I don't want to insult God, so I have to be careful when I say I hate this place. I hate cancer. I hate sexual abuse. I hate when people lie and destroy others. I have all this I want to leave this place so I can be with Jesus. Yet, as Paul said, it's better sometimes that I stay here and get the work done that I need to get done. Because I, I don't know what Tammy would do if, if I left. And I don't know if Tam, what I would do if Tammy left. But I know God would give me the strength to endure it. But the fact of the matter is, is that hasn't occurred yet. But Jesus has power over death. And he has made this incredible promise that we have passed out of judgment into life. That's why Christians, now in the old days, you know, when you went to a funeral service or a memorial service, it was kind of somber and maudlin and, and, and that. And today, Christians are now what? When we go to a service, they're what? Celebratory. Why? Because they're with Jesus. Feel sorry for yourself. Because you're stuck here, but don't ask them to come home from glory. Realize that you have a path to continue to walk so that you can be with them in glory. Look at verse 52. The Jews said to him, now we know that you're out of your mind. You have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets, and yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you think 
you are. And, and here's the next fill in the blank, verse 56. I'm the promised one. Because he goes on and says this, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. And guess what? He saw it and was glad. Do you remember God going to Abraham and saying, Abraham, I'm going to bless every person on earth through your offspring. One person is going to bless the entire world. And it says in faith in Hebrews, and even about Sarah being barren, by faith they saw that. They saw it. I'm the promised one. And then here comes the kicker, the last bit, picking up at verse 57. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? You know they had to be saying it incredulously, like, sure, right. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, what does he say? I am. The Hebraic name of God the self-existent one. He basically says, I'm God. Because look at the response. So they picked up stones to throw at him. They're going to kill him right here. He crossed the mark. He said, I am God, the last fill in the blank. And it freaked them out enough that we're going to kill this sucker right now. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Now I know that this was a hard text because you go back and forth, back and forth between the people that want to kill Jesus and Jesus answering the question, who you are? Who are you? And Jesus, just to recap, look at this progression that he builds through this text. I can set you free. I am the son. I have the power to do it. I speak for God. I'm the image. I am sinless. I have power over death. I am the promised one. And then he says, I am God. Now here's the response. You or your neighbor or the people in Bangladesh or the people in Africa or the people in Georgia, wherever you're at, there's two responses to these claims that Jesus has. You're either going to pick up stones and try to kill them or you're going to drop a knee and say, Jesus, you are Lord. You are Lord. You are the one. You are the promise. You are our salvation. You are the one. Are you familiar with Philippians chapter 2 where Jesus emptied himself and took on humanity and didn't even grasp that he was God, but he knew it, but he didn't exercise that power. He added humanity to his divinity so that we could see him. So that he could transform our lives. He is more than a cell phone. He's more than a smartphone. He's more than a savior. He is Lord. Now we have the long journey of obedience. You know, many believe that Jesus is a savior, but many do not make him Lord. Did you know that? They give lip service. Jesus, your Lord. Just like you can take a checkbook 
I can take Heather's checkbook, I can take Peter's checkbook, you can take Wayland's checkbook, you can take my checkbook, and you can look at all the places we spend money and you can see what our values are, where our values are. We can say Jesus is Lord all the time, but if it does not show up in the way we live, something's wrong. Something's wrong. And Jesus is calling you, wooing you to the long road of obedience that is wonderful. We sometimes do a disservice to Jesus because we make obedience sound like it's negative. It is the most beautiful, positive thing in the world. If you're in a marriage, is it good to be, uh, to be faithful to one another? And you all said, amen. It is a thing of beauty. That's what we're doing. We're being faithful to Jesus because he's Lord. Have you made Jesus Lord? Are you allowing him to abide in you? Let's set the record straight. That doesn't mean that everything's easy peasy and that everything goes your way. It is a struggle. And it's a glorious struggle because you've been promised the victory in Jesus. You have the victory in Jesus right now. You have to see it like Abraham saw. You have to see that victory. You have to understand. You have to, I I don't know what you, one of the things when when we go out for a morning with Jesus, one of the things I'm going to teach you or help you do is is to, to, to worship better. I don't judge anybody on their worship, but I want to I get you to a point where you're worshiping better. That you're opening, you're, you're getting rid of obstacles that are prohibiting you from, from, from worshiping with all of your heart, mind, soul, so, and strength. And I hope, uh, I don't want this to be a commercial, but I hope that you're going to be able to join us in two weeks out in the desert for a morning with Jesus from 8 to noon. But it's this life of abiding and obedience that is so beautiful.